Hi, this is Ellie from Dancewell Podcast, and today I'm sitting with Dr. Stacia Blyskall, D.O. She's a graduate of Brown University and the University of New England College of Osteopathic Medicine. She received her residency training in neuromusculoskeletal medicine slash osteopathic manipulative medicine, that's NMM and OMM, at the premier training program in the U.S., St. Barnabas Hospital, where she also served as chief resident, and she's, a board, and she's board certified in NMM and OMM. Dr. Blyskull has completed hundreds of additional hours of training in osteopathy in the cranial field, and she has extensive experience treating newborns and children as well as adults. She's also completed the Interprofessional Program in Integrative Healthcare at the Institute for Family Health. Dr. Blyskull serves as adjunct professor at the New York Institute of Technology College of Osteopathic Medicine. Her interest in osteopathic manual medicine began during her years as a professional modern dancer, which is how I know her, and Dr. Blyskull's treatments and home exercise recommendations are informed by her study of yoga and Pilates, which I guess is even more so how I know you because we used to go to Pilates <laughs> together. Um, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. And um, could you start, for those in our audience who don't know, can you explain what is osteopathic medicine? Sure. So osteopathic medicine is a form of medicine that started when there weren't a whole lot of other treatment options. This was back in the late 1800s. Um, and one very thoughtful physician started to think about how anatomy and physiology might be affected by one another. And so rather than giving someone mercury, for example, to make them throw up and purge whatever was ailing them, he would treat any anatomic issues he found with his hands, which was way less toxic, to help um, the physiology recover. So for example, if someone had a pneumonia, there were no antibiotics, and so he would treat that person's rib cage with his hands to help clear the infection. So that's kind of how osteopathic medicine started. Nowadays, osteopathic doctors are fully licensed physicians. So they get four years of medical training and they can prescribe medicine, order imaging, perform surgery if that's what they get their postgraduate training in. So it is the full spectrum of medical practice, but what makes DO doctors a little bit different than MD doctors is that we also continue to learn about how to diagnose and treat structural issues and think about that interrelationship between structure and function. Great. Um, so to, like medicine, MDs, which we in the U.S. might be more familiar with, are, what is it, allopathic? We would, yeah, the distinction would be allopathic, allopathic rather and than osteopathic, osteopathic or homeopathic okay. or whatever these other terms are. And we have a lot of followers in Europe, mm -hmm. so they might be much more familiar with osteopathy. Yes, it, it indeed they well probably known. are, yeah. yeah. Um, so in osteopathic medicine, everyone um, has some training in treating with their hands, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, so the teaching I do in... Um, in the osteopathic medical school where I teach is all first and second year medical students. I teach in their OMM lab and they learn all about how to diagnose and they learn the beginnings of some, some treatments with their hands. Great. And then some people who um, are DOs might go on into fields, even like surgery, right? And maybe, sure. and they might not use their hands in an 
OMM fashion at all? Unfortunately not. I mean, the hope is that they will still think osteopathically, meaning, you know, let's say someone is a surgeon and their patient that they did an appendectomy on comes in and says, hey doc, you know, my, my abdomen still hurts. And they could say, hmm, well, I know the surgery went well. I know there's no infection. I know there's no bleeding. Maybe you have some, what we would call somatic dysfunction. So a structural issue that was still part of Part of the picture, maybe some strain in the abdominal wall. And so even if they don't treat with their hands anymore, hopefully they at least can say, hmm, maybe I should send you to one of my colleagues who could treat you with their hands. And I see Stacia for a variety of issues, and you, you do primarily treat with your hands. I mean, I know that you write prescriptions at times and you mm-hmm. um, request x-rays at times, but most, mostly you treat with your hands. Right? Yes. Yep. And so what's your additional training then that, um, that you've experienced that qualifies you for that? Okay. Well, I always knew I wanted to um, focus mostly on treating with my hands because my exposure to osteopathic work was back when I was still a dancer, and I got treated with the hands-on kind of work, and I can tell you more about that if you're interested. Yeah, please. Uh, well, okay. So I had this pain in my sacroiliac joint on my left side, and it would get bad enough where I couldn't combray back, I couldn't do an arabesque on that side, and my Pilates teacher at the time suggested that I see an osteopathic doctor. And so she treated me using very, very you know, gentle work. I had kind of no idea what was going on. I was just kind of lying on the table, feeling relaxed, and um, sure enough, I stood up off the table and I felt like I was standing on my whole left leg completely differently which is a concept that, unless you're a dancer, most other (laughs) doctors won't know what you're talking about. (laughs) But I felt completely different. You know, I went to class the next day. My pain was way better. And the other thing that really kind of sparked my interest was that some digestive issues that I'd been having were also a lot better. And it's not like I went into that treatment thinking or anticipating or hoping that my digestive issues would get better. I just wanted to be able to do an arabesque. And so that was kind of my initial interest. Um in osteopathic medicine, and even though I kept dancing for years after that, when I ultimately went back to school, I I knew I would want to focus on that. So to get back to your question, I took a lot of additional classes, even while I was a student, in hands-on work, and then I did my residency training, which was three years, in what's called neuromusculoskeletal medicine and osteopathic manipulative medicine. So I spent three years treating patients in the hospital, so post-surgical patients, post-trauma patients, patients in the ICU, newborn babies, and postpartum moms. It was a real broad spectrum of, of patient types and pathologies, as well as some outpatient work. Um, so that was my additional training, and I still take continuing education courses, um, many of which are, are in hands-on types of approaches. Great. Um... That anecdote about your experience with OMM is sort of a great segue into this um, question about uh, function and structure, right, Mm -hmm. which is really at the core of OMM. So knowing what you know now, now being a fully licensed (laughs) physician, as you are, with expertise in OMM, what do you, can you use that example to explain to people sort of how your form, your pelvis, and the structure of your lower trunk was affecting your function, your digestion. Right. So what I suspect that had to do with was my pain was in my sacroiliac joint, and I think that a lot of the issue at that time was probably in my pelvis because whenever I would do 
Pilates, my, my Pilates instructor would notice that, you know, one hip bone or a nominate bone looked more rotated forward and the other looked more rotated backwards. And over time, you know, that can really put strain in the body when something is asymmetric, the movement's not as efficient. Um, and so, you know, rather than the issue coming from my ankle, say, like I do think the issue was in my pelvis, but you know, in between the two pelvic bones is the sacrum and the nerves to the lower GI tract exit the spine right. through the sacrum. And so in normalizing the, the tone of the muscles and the uh, ligaments around that area, I think it improved my GI function. Right. You know, one right. of the principal tenets of osteopathic medicine, in addition to the fact that structure and function are interrelated, is that the body has self-regulatory and self-healing mechanisms, which mm -hmm. is an idea that's very big in more integrative medicine, but it's been talked about in osteopathic medicine for a long time because it's really just a fact. You know, if you cut your skin, your skin knows how to heal. Right. If you breathe in something noxious, you have cells that know how to expel it from your respiratory tract. And so if your body feels an alignment that feels more efficient and less tense, it will adopt that new pattern. So, You know, um, when I'm recommending osteopathic medicine to people, I, I often say it's like, um, if you're going to experience OMM, it's, it's like having body work done by a physician. So you have this um, security that any underlying pathologies will be noted, you know, because as a Pilates teacher, uh, like I can help somebody if their gait is off and that's causing strain in their knee and they mm -hmm. need more ankle flexibility and they need more strength in their VMO, you know, like sure. I, I can address those things, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but I don't know if, you know, their lower back pain is related to their kidneys. You know, I just know that it's maybe a structural situation. So um, one of the things that I see Stacia for is asthma, which is uh, um, you treat in a similar way too with this idea of the nerve outlet, right? Because a lot of times when I see you for asthma symptoms, like as a non-physician, as a body person, I can understand, oh, the tightness in my back is mm -hmm. causing a restriction in my ribs. And, you know, that restriction in my ribs is not encouraging good breathing function. But you also treat sort of the, like the sympathetic nervous system outlet that happens there too, right? Is that right? Or something like More that? Or less. I mean, it's hard for me to make a claim that I'm directly treating your sympathetic nervous system because uh -huh. I'm not, you know, opening you up and doing surgery right in that <laughs> area. But what I am addressing is, again, this concept of somatic dysfunction, mm -hmm. which could be increased tension or an asymmetry or a restricted range of motion. And so... I also, you know, because I have this medical training, in addition to just treating the more mechanical ribcage restriction, can also try to direct the treatment towards where the sympathetic chain ganglia lie. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, try to target that a little bit more with my hands. Again, I'm addressing the tone in the tissues, but, mm -hmm. you know, as that story, I think, with my sacrum and my digestion illustrate yes. that it can often affect... Um, affect the autonomic nervous system as well. Great. Yeah. So let's get a little bit more into what OMM feels like, what an appointment with you, um, how it runs. Could you start by saying if a dancer comes to see you or someone who practices the way you do, what might they expect in their initial appointment? Mm -hmm. 
So the initial appointment would start out the way an initial appointment at any other doctor's appointment would, which is with um, finding out more about the, the reason they're there, mm -hmm. um, finding out all about their past medical history, whether they've had surgery. I also get a very detailed, what we would call trauma history, so broken bones, car accidents, falls, even if they're a long time in the past, can still mm -hmm. um, be relevant. So I get that. So really a full, um, full history and a full physical exam. So I take everyone's blood pressure, I listen to their heart and their lungs, I can do a neurological exam or a joint exam if, if what they're complaining about is their knee or their shoulder or something like that. And then I would do what we call an osteopathic structural exam where I use my hands and also my eyes to kind of uh, really check the whole body, to screen the whole body from, from your toes and your ankles <laughs> all the way up to to your head where your head meets up with your neck and sometimes even you know in between the bones of the head itself and that really gives me a full picture of what might be contributing to that person's complaint so even if it's their neck I'm still going to check their ankle because who knows maybe they have a history of recurrent ankle sprains and over time they've been walking on this dysfunctional ankle and if you think up that kinetic chain up the spine and that's leading to their their neck pain so screening doing a full osteopathic screening is helpful in kind of figuring out what stands out to me the most meaning what joints are the most restricted where is there the most fascial tension or soft tissue tension, things like that. And I can kind of develop an, an assessment of what's contributing. And then I can structure a treatment plan for that person. You know, maybe if they're complaining of SI joint pain, maybe it is their pelvis, but maybe it's their ankle. And so I'll kind of decide what I think is worth treating on that day and what we might work on at the next visit. But so the next portion of the initial office visit would be the osteopathic treatment, which would address whatever... Um, either somatic dysfunction or structural issues I had found. Great. And again, I think this sort of speaks to the benefit of seeing a physician, you know, because when you have an issue, um, it's, it's one of the benefits of seeing a physician is to rule out other pathologies. So exactly. again, like if during that screening you have an inkling like, oh, this is a, a kidney issue, you might actually say you need to, you'll make a referral out to a renal specialist. And then yes, and I'm glad you brought that up because, right, I'm kind of operating on the assumption that we're talking about dancers and most things are musculoskeletal, but you're absolutely right. If there were any red flags at the first visit, I may or may not treat them. Mm -hmm. um, if, if there was something urgent, we would attend to that right away. If it was not urgent but important, I could order imaging or order blood work um, as well mm -hmm. at the first visit. Or if, you know, down the line, most things improve, but if it didn't improve the way we would expect, then I would order some kind of workup or refer them to a special, a different type of specialist if I felt like that was indicated. Great. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a great first step, you know, and then somebody might segue out to physical therapy or yeah. Pilates and or sometimes a different I do movement refer, practice. Yeah, well, as, as you know, I do yeah. refer a lot of people for Pilates because yeah. I think it's very helpful in maintaining the effects of the treatment mm -hmm. and developing more core integration and all of that. Um, and sometimes, you know, even with the osteopathic work, I think that physical therapy is a helpful adjunct and I'll refer a patient for that as well to really do some more targeted rehab on a particular tendon or whatever. So Great. Um, and then this is, this is a big question, Stacia. <laughs> K 
Can you describe what it is exactly that you do with your hands? Okay. <laughs> I, and I wonder, before I start with that, if part of the reason why you're curious is because when I've treated you, I've often used the gentler types of manual approaches. Uh -huh. And in reality, there are other ones where you might be a little bit more aware of what was going on because your body would be moving a lot more rather than you kind of lying on the table. And Yeah, so let's talk about that for a moment. So... Um, you have informed informed me in the past. Uh, we did a an interview for a Point magazine All right. yeah, article. Yeah, yeah. Um, and along in that process, you sort of informed me that actually chiropractic work and cranial sacral therapy both sort of emerged from OMM historically. And for anyone who's had cranial sacral work, that tends to be pretty subtle and sometimes even barely perceptible. And then I think we traditionally think of chiropractic work as being more of those like high velocity, more vigorous, yeah. yeah, cracks and adjustments. So OMM actually encompasses that full spectrum. Is that right? Yeah, all yeah. of that and and more. You know, there are some physical therapists who use what's called muscle energy uh -huh. technique, and that was developed by an osteopath. So there there's a wide range of techniques. Um, the way I kind of, one axis to look at them is, is how vigorous versus how gentle they are. Right. Um, there's another way of looking at it where is the technique a direct technique or an indirect technique? So a direct approach would be, hmm, your thoracic spine, you know, likes to rotate this way and doesn't like to rotate that way. So I'm going to encourage it to rotate into the range that it's restricted. And that could be a very gentle amount of force, or it could involve a kind of high velocity um, force. I think, you know, the word manipulation, when we talk about osteopathic manipulation, often people associate that with the, the high velocity back cracking kind of stuff. But in reality, manipulation could mean anything along that spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, and I do, you know, if you were a 65 year old guy with a lot of arthritis and you were, you had really stiff joints, I probably would move you around a bit not I very very rarely do the thrusting kinds of techniques mm -hmm. but I do use what are called articulatory approaches where I kind of gently nudge up against barriers and try to help segments move through those barriers but without thrusting uh -huh. um, you know with a lot of dancers I use these more gentler approaches which we call balanced ligamentous tension where I am positioning a joint or a bone uh, in, in a place where it feels like the tension across the ligaments is balanced. And so the easiest metaphor I can think of is, is with the sacrum, because there are so many ligaments mm -hmm. that attach the sacrum to the lumbar spine, to the innominate bones on either side. And so if you think of the sacrum as a boat in a stock slip, right? And so then there's ropes that attach the boat to the to the moorings in the front, in the back, one side to the other. And so I use my hands, usually the patient's lying on their back, although they don't have to be, with my hands under the sacrum and I just apply gentle pressure at the base of your sacrum, so at the, the top, the wide part, or at the apex, at the bottom pointy part, and I can you know, see where, if I position it a little bit forward, a little bit backward, a little bit rotated one way or the other way, where is there a place where that boat feels like it's just floating and all those ropes have equal tension in them? So the reason it feels gentle is because your sacrum has a little bit of movement, but it doesn't move the way your knee or your elbow move. And so it's going to feel more subtle because 
we're working at the level of the ligaments. Okay, great. Let's come back in a moment to this idea of um, gentle, of that gentle spectrum. Okay. Um, so we, this is where, you know, we might see a, a divergence of believers and non-believers, <laughs> right? So because there are people who are just like, cannot conceive of that sort of being able to feel that place. Mm -hmm. So what do you, how do you, what, what do you say to those people? Like how, how do you feel that with your hands? What is, what is that? How does, a hand, how do you know? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, med students ask me that, patients ask me that. It mm -hmm. is, I think if you haven't um, experienced it, it is kind of hard to imagine. And I certainly had that experience when I was a patient myself. Um, and I think the two biggest things are one, knowing the anatomy, and two, putting your hands on a lot of people. Yeah. And so, the, knowing the anatomy part, I think we've talked in the past. We often give this exercise to med students where we, we have a tissue or a sheet and you, well, if it's a tissue, you put a quarter somewhere on the tissue. The student has their eyes closed and they can kind of tug on different parts of the tissue and see if they can then drop their finger on where the quarter is. Or an example I'll use is if you're making your bed and you have the sheet out and your cat jumps on the bed, if your eyes were closed and you tugged on each side of the sheet, you would probably know, oh, the cat's up by the head of the bed or the foot of the bed, because you know the dimensions of your bed, right? That's the anatomy. And you have experience in life of what it feels like to be trying to lift something far away from you or close to you. Right. And so that's part of it is knowing the anatomy, right. right? If I'm treating your wrist, I know where the head of your radius is. I know how far away from my hand that is. And then over time, if you do it over and over and over again, you'll learn what feels like a pretty functional wrist where there's not a lot of tension or one where there is a lot of tension. And, you know, like any manual skill, like if I was a pizza maker, I'm sure in the beginning I'd be like, how do you get the crust to do this or that? <laughs> and then over time you figure it out. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to explain things that we feel with our hands because ultimately it's a palpatory thing, not a verbal thing. Right, right. And, you know, it, it's the same as like, I don't know, how does an athlete know how to hold a golf club and strike with the exact amount of pressure so that the ball goes right into that little hole? Right. You know, like how does a dancer on Broadway know to hit their spike mark every single time, right. whether they're exhausted or feeling energized or limber yeah. or tight, they are still able to hit their mark every single time, right? right. So. Um, right. They've done it over and over again and they know how to control momentum and yeah. all sorts of things that they might not be able to put into words, but they can certainly do. Right. And like you said, it's, it's, um, it's not auditory, it's not visual, it's palpatory. And I think, um, maybe this is why like dancers are often drawn to body work and don't have so much of that distrust mm -hmm, of that knowledge mm -hmm. because they're like, yeah, I understand right. palpatory precision. That right, is my right, entire right. existence. Whereas maybe a, a you know, maybe an MD uh, who doesn't have a, a physical background, who really has spent their life, you know, vigorously hitting the books and reading right. and learning in a really phenomenal way, you know, maybe they just don't have that personal lived in experience of like palpatory intelligence in that same way. And so it's really hard to relate to and understand. Yeah. 
I think that's totally true. And I, you know, regardless of whether or not the patient who comes to me for the first time is a dancer, I always explain that I'm going to look at their whole body. Mm -hmm. But whenever I explain that to a dancer, they're like, yeah, of course. Right. Of course it's all related. But right. that can be a very novel concept to, um, to answer, more yeah. conventionally minded medicine and, and, yeah, other patients who aren't athletes or, or dancers or whatever, it might be a little bit more of a novel idea. Yeah. Um, so when we, let's go back to this uh, specificity of treatment of the gentle touch. I have yeah, not ever experienced you doing anything so high velocity. And um, I think in that, that interview we did for Point, the, the quote in the article was about the value of gentle work with dancers, how uh -huh. dancers often think, you know, they work so hard that sometimes they just think working harder is the answer and, right. and yeah, a harder yeah. treatment and a more aggressive treatment. And I just need a deeper massage. And, right. um, but sometimes a gentle thing is more what dancers need. Could you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah. Well, I think, I think all of that stuff is great. You know, another example I could give you from my own history is when I had a really persistent Achilles tendonitis. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I did, in addition to seeing, um, my osteopath, I also, went to an amazing physical therapist who did a lot of deep tissue work and had a really well thought out home exercise program for me. And, and without that, I don't think I would have gotten better as quickly as I did. Um, so sometimes that deep tissue work is indicated, but I think the, um, the gentler work uh, helps with repatterning of neuromuscular patterns and can address different things. And so, you know, if just deep tissue is enough, then that's great. But if, you know, to use the example of an ankle tendonitis, um, looking at the relationship of the tibia and the fibula, looking at the sheet of connective tissue, the interosseous membrane that's between them, and, and how that sets up the relationship for the foot and the ankle underneath them is really important. And that rebalancing kind of work that we do via this balanced ligamentous tension, I think is really unique to osteopathic work. And so I think that work is valuable. And I think, you know, dancers do have so much riding on, on their bodies as their work and their art and all of that. And there's a lot of anxiety, which is understandable when there's an injury. And so sometimes, rather than constantly them having to work on it and this fear that if they don't work hard enough, it's not going to get better. And then what are they going to do if they can just lie on the table and not have to have this kind of top-down repatterning, which, you know, with Pilates is also very valuable, to, but to just lie on the table and relax and let it kind of come from within, mm -hmm. you know, that, that idea of the self-regulating and the self-healing, you know, let that repatterning happen. Mm -hmm. um, and also like in a body that's so response that, you know, dancers have trained their bodies to be very responsive. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine like you're able to give a suggestion and then that self-healing self-regulatory habit really kick, it doesn't need a lot of um, stimulus because it's highly alert and highly attuned. And yeah, so it's that is often responsive. true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what is something that you are technically trained to do with your hands, a treatment technique that you rarely or never use? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, I mean, the nice thing about learning this, this variety is that you can apply them to a broad variety of patients. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I teach medical students how to treat patients in the hospital. And so, you know, for a patient who, you know, can only lie on their back or can only, you know, maybe they just got up in the chair and it was such a big effort for them, you know, 
don't put them back in bed to treat them just because you learned how to do something lying down. You know, <laughs> learn how to apply the principles of structure and function to a patient in a seated position. So it's great that we have this huge variety. Um, I will say that I probably don't use a whole lot of high-velocity maneuvers. Mm-hmm. Um, I occasionally, if something feels really, really stiff, might do that in the thoracic spine, but I, I actually don't think I ever use high-velocity in the cervical spine. Mm-hmm. That's just my choice. There are some DOs who do, mm-hmm. but I feel like there are so many other ways of addressing those same um, somatic dysfunctions, and I, I do find that the, the rebalancing... Um, approaches tend to work um, last longer. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so let's get into a couple of um, real logistics to leave our, our listeners with some understanding of how to get to an osteopath, mm-hmm. um, a, a DO. So, uh, for our American listeners, yeah, <laughs> you don't take insurance. So, can you explain why that is that you don't that you don't work within the insurance? Right. So, and it doesn't mean that all DOs throughout the U.S. who do OMM don't take insurance. I think it's partly a feature of being here in New York City, where unfortunately there are physicians in all sorts of specialties who don't participate in insurance. Um, And part of that has to do with time. You know, Mm -hmm. this kind of work takes a long time. It, It actually, you know, even if I was a primary care doctor, if I really wanted to do a thorough Uh, history and physical, I'm sure most doctors would wish they had a few extra minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. But in my case, because of the treatment, I really need to spend a lot of time. And some insurance companies don't uh, appreciate the fact that actually in order to treat someone's ankle, you do need to treat the whole body. And Mm -hmm. so they would you know, be constantly taking issue with all of that and trying to tell me how to practice. And so in order to really give people the care I feel they need... I don't participate in insurance, but elsewhere in the country, um, you can find um, people who do participate. So just to clarify, like if, if somebody came to you with an ankle sprain and you treated something in the hip that you felt was being affected by that sprain, you might get a return from the insurance saying, we're not covering that. That's, they saw you for ankle sprain. Why are you dealing with their hip? Potentially. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay. Um, and if, if somebody, uh, here would like to find a DO who, who um, treats the way you do, what should they look for? How do they find someone? Right, well, I guess with Google there's always yeah. that, but um, <laughs> or, there are a couple kind of... directories. One uh-huh. is the American Academy of Osteo- Osteopathy. Um, there's the American Osteopathic Association. So one is the AAO and the other is the AOA. And then the Cranial Academy uh, also has a really good find a physician directory. And so the, and you could type in your zip code and, and find someone that way. And again, just to clarify that there are um, DOs working in all specialties from family medicine to orthopedics to ENT, yep, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do they, what's, how would somebody identify someone who's really um, particularly interested in treating with their hands? So I think if you probably Googled or whatever browser, (laughs) osteopathic manual medicine or osteopathic manipulative medicine, that would be one way. Um, The Cranial Academy's website actually lists each physician that's listed. It lists the percentage of time they use their hands. Oh, wow. So if they're a primary care doctor and they spend half their time with that and the other half their time doing primary care, that would be very clear. Uh Um, But, you know, most people on that site use it, you know, 
close to 100% of the time. It's, it's generally a site where people who are working with their hands have, have listed their practice. Um, probably the AOA, the American um, Osteopathic Association, would have a, have a broader list of, of DOs. So if you did want to see a DO ENT, you might be able to find them there, as well as DOs who perform OMM. Great. Um, where can our listeners learn more about you? Can you tell us your website? Sure. Uh, my website is my name, which I will probably have to spell for your listeners, but it's uh, <laughs> www.stasiableiskoldo.com, which is S-T-A-S-I-A-B-L-Y-S-K-A-L-D-O. <laughs> Great. Com. Excellent. Is there anything else you want to say before we sign off? Anything about your work with dancers that you love or that you... I want to make sure we know. Uh, yeah, I love treating dancers, and I think, you know, the, the issue in the U.S. Is, is, for everybody, not just dancers, that osteopathic manual work isn't as well known, unfortunately, even mm-hmm. though it started here, as it is in Canada and Europe, and so I'm thrilled to introduce dancers to it, because I found it so helpful myself. Um, it's a population I really like working with, and I'm glad you gave me the opportunity to talk more about it. My pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Ellie. On behalf of Marissa and myself, Ellie Kushner, I want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewell Podcast. Like what you hear? Go to iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud and search Dancewell Podcast to subscribe. We'll be releasing bi-monthly episodes with an emphasis on exploring 360 degrees of health and wellness for dancers. Have questions or want to get in touch? Email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye.